0: Ago, we talked about these one another scriptures, and where does it start? It starts first of all within the body of Christ. Okay, it starts first within the church. It's funny, people they want to love people, but they can't get along with their own wife and kids, they can't get along with their neighbor sitting next to them, but they think that they're a loving person. Well. The reality of it is, is whether I'm loving or not is probably going to be distinguished. Who's going to know whether not I'm not loving? You may think that I'm loving, but in reality, I may not be very loving. A stranger who sees me and meets me may say, oh, what a nice guy he is. But my wife and kids may know something completely different. They may know a different person. My in-laws, my brothers and sisters, they may know another person than what affront that you see. But as believers, as followers of Jesus, the thing that should characterize our lives is this love for one another, this commitment to one another, this devotion to one another. Now, the scriptures in First Corinthians thirteen tells us what love is. It says that it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. It goes through a, a whole list of. Uh, it's like easily angered. And if we say that, there's probably a lot of us who have a long way to go in this area of loving one another. In this characteristic of being committed to one another. There's probably a lot of us that we can say, you know what? I gave up, and we have the things that we gave up. You know? <laughs> thank you, Lord. I gave up cursing like I used to curse. Oh, God, thank you. I gave up, you know, I gave up those habits. They held on for a while, but never came them. But Jesus disciples because of this love for one another. The love of God, and we need to focus on that more. The love of God does not, though, the love of God does not mean that we don't address other issues that are going on. Part of loving one another is being honest with one another and being committed to one another. And the Bible says that we're supposed to speak The truth in what? In love. So sometimes people think that if we love one another, we just let everything go. Whatever people want to do, whatever people want to say, the love of God is going to compel you to stand up for what's right. Other people's kids, there are certain areas of life where I have responsibilities. And really, as a believer, we have a responsibility to the whole world. So that's the hard part. We have a responsibility to care not just for my kids, but for my primary responsibility. If I see my kids going the wrong way, if I see a family member going the wrong way, if I see a person going the wrong way, I have a responsibility. The love of God should compel me to rescue them, to care for them, to warn them. On Wednesday night, we shared a message with you. Those of you who were here, i shared a message entitled, Righteousness Exalts Nation. The biblical principle is that when a nation upholds God's high moral standards, it will rise to a place of honor. When sin is tolerated, and we're talking about love, when sin is tolerated and even celebrated, it will lead to utter humiliation. When we look at the condition of our nation, it should bring us as followers of Jesus, great concern. Before we address the ills of society, we must first address the sin and deception that has slipped into the church. And if we love people, if we love people, we're going to protect them. If we care for people, the love of God doesn't tell us to shut our mouth. The love of God tells us to speak up. The love of God tells us to warn. To protect. Here's the reality in many places in the church. The love of many has waxed cold. The passion for God that once gripped man's heart has diminished. Leaving many simply going through the motions. Focused only upon their own comfort. Popular opinion has become the standard in place of the word of God. It used to be that the word of God was the standard by which we live. Now it's popular opinion. Many people are biblically illiterate. They do not even know what God requires of them. They listen to what society says instead of understanding what the word of God requires of them. That makes it possible for false teachers who have come into the church and deceived many by saying that God has changed his mind. And somehow now God has changed his mind because we live in 2016 on things such as homosexuality and sexual purity, the murdering of innocent life and rebelliousness. Church members spend their time drinking and partying and watching pornography and then they wonder why there's no power in their lives and why they're not hungry for God. Because here's the reality, in a church this size, probably 60 or 50% of the men are watching pornography throughout the week. And then they come into church and we wonder, God, where is my zeal gone? Where is my passion gone? Where is my love for you, God? What's happened, Lord? People come into church hungover from Saturday night and they wonder, well, I wonder why I don't have a fire in me any longer for the spirit of the Lord. I wonder why I don't want to be at the altar drawing near to him and being filled with the Spirit because you've accepted a counterfeit of being drunk with wine. Our country as a nation is quickly moving away from the Judeo-Christian principles this nation was founded upon. I want you to know that my responsibility is to be biblically correct, not politically correct. The time is coming in our nation where if you are a follower of Jesus Christ... And hold to the principles of his word. immorality and perversion. And to be honest with you, President Obama puts those type of people up as heroes in our country. So it's not hate that says that. It says, what is going on in changing the mind, changing the hearts of people and saying, this is perversion. I didn't know that you could be a hero. I thought you were a hero when you gave your life for somebody else. I didn't know that you're a hero when you give yourself female hormones. I didn't know that that makes you a hero. But in our society today, that's the fight that we are seeing. Dr. George Wood described what's taking place in our country in a recent article. And he says this. He says, what first takes place in changing the minds of a people, and what's taking place in our country today is first a caricature. A picture is drawn of Christians. It's almost like a stick figure Picture. Do you remember a witch? Do you remember as a child, tell me some descriptions of a witch when you were a child. What did she have? Pointy hat. What else? A broom. What else? Warts. And what What about her nose? She always had a big nose. So when you think of a witch, you always think of someone with like a hooked nose, a big nose, with warts, crazy little hat, and a broom. And the reality of it is, when I say that, that's what you think of. That's exactly what you think of. The reality of it is today, there's a picture, a caricature being drawn of Christians that bears very little resemblance to who we really are. The picture that's drawn as someone who's hateful, mean-spirited, narrow-minded, bears very little resemblance to who the majority of Christians, who they are. But over time, that is what portions of our society is going to say, that's who the church is. That's what the church is like. Second, we will be marginalized. There's coming a time in our country when these people who cry out for tolerance, the ones who are saying that they demand tolerance, will no longer be able to tolerate your holding a biblical worldview. Dr. Wood writes, Our pro-life positions and views on marriage are regarded as not acceptable. And militate against an appointment to the Supreme Court and beyond that to appellate courts and district courts. Our views will simply become unacceptable to the political powers that be. And we will be sidelined from the public square, marginalized. Okay? Third thing. The third thing is discrimination. Once you can make a caricature of a group and marginalize them, all because they're haters. Abortions. And so what, luckily, the Supreme Court ruled in their favor, but if you listen, pay the attention this week to the DNC, if you listen to them on TV, they are saying, we are in a battle for the soul of our nation. That's their exact words. We are in a battle for the soul of our nation. And so the reality of it is they say, this is their words. Over the next the next forty years, the people who are who are appointed to the Supreme Court over the next forty years will be they will determine the direction of our nation because our Supreme Court has become now a legislative branch of government. Okay, they're making laws. Unfortunately, fortunately for us, they ruled against them. But this is what they would do: if you own a business and you simply say, "Listen, I don't believe in abortion." You'll be a hater. If you watch the DNC this past week, if you listen to that, they were all celebrating the little girls. They have little girls. They're all dressed up cute. They know they can be president. You know what? I bet you there's some little girls who are in the womb. They would love the chance just to be able to live. They would love the chance just to be able to grow up. It loves us chance just to be able to breathe for a few moments. Some political parties, some people are saying that it's a woman's right to choose. I say you have a right to choose before you get pregnant. I wish that little woman, I wish that little man had a choice to live because I guarantee you that his body and everything in him will fight to live. It will fight to live while there's people who who we say that wait a minute, just let me kill the baby. And here's the reality: when you start killing babies. Don't be surprised that there's so much violence in our nation. When you say to people, Is important. Self sacrifice is important. Here's what's happening. What's going to happen is eventually, if you own a business and don't go along with things like abortion, then you'll be put out of business. And you'll have to choose between violating the biblical principles that you hold dear and having business. And so you're and people say, No, Pastor, that's not gonna that's not gonna happen. Have you looked at the direction of our country? In the past 10 years. In the past fifteen years. So they will be forced out of business. So you'll have to choose on whether you violate biblical principles simply to support your family and to stay in the business. Finally, fourth is persecution. And this is what George Woods writes. thus present trends are reverse. I can envision a day not too far off in which faith-based parachurch educational and compassion institutes are forced to close if they retain biblical standards of sexual conduct for employees or even requirements that employees, faculty, or students profess a Christian faith. So at a certain point, Christian colleges will have to go out of business, or what they will do is they will say, you are not fit because you discriminate, because you say to your students, I doubt it for you. They to your students, you have to sign a code of conduct that you say, I'm not going to be having sex. If I'm not married, I'm not going to be having sex. To be a professor there, you sign a, in essence, a code of conduct that you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I will not be going out and getting high and drunk. I'm not going to be having sex with some other man. I'm not going to be committing adultery. I'm not going to live that way. And if you live that way, then what they would do is they would remove them from their position and say, you're not fit to serve in this position. But what will happen is there will come a time where they will say, you're discriminating. You're discriminating because you have these beliefs. So we're going to take away your tax exempt status. You won't. Your students won't get financial aid because you're discriminating. These are the things that are kind of headed down the pike for our country. Someone needs to have the courage to stand up and say that if we don't repent, if they don't repent, much of the church today in America is apostate. And the reality of it is, this, here's the thing, if you're promoting as a church things that absolutely go against the word of God, if you're promoting sexual immorality, if you're promoting homosexuality, if you're promoting abortion, if you're promoting these kind of things, the church is in a backsliding state. Actually, that's an apostate state. It would be better, now Pastor, this message is about. be innocent. And then they have the audacity to seek laws in Pennsylvania to keep the victims from being able to seek damages. They want to say that they care about their people. Well, listen, if your priests are sexually abusing, they have something to lose a hundred or more victims, they cover it up and then they don't want people to be able to collect against them or sue them. Where's the love for their people in that? Where's the concern for their people? Some will say, well, what does this have to do with love? Pastor, this message does not sound too loving. Yet the love of God motivates us. It compels us to speak and to act. It's not hate towards someone if they continue in their course, their current course, it will destroy them. Yet that's what many would have you to believe. That if you speak out against sin, that you do not have love in your heart. It's a lie. John the Baptist came as a preacher of righteousness. And the political leaders of his day cut his head off and carried it on a platter. Because they didn't like what he said because he offended them. He called the people to repent. He addressed the sin and the corruption of the current contemporary society and system. In John chapter 1 verse 15, John testified concerning him, it says. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said... He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing. And this is the verse I want you to focus on. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. There's an interesting contrast in these words. Moses brought the people the law, which was rightfully greatly revered standard of life by which they could know how God wanted them to behave. There's great wisdom in the law of Moses, and there's much that we can learn today from it. Typically, when things go wrong or there is a moral decline in the world today, it's because man has turned away from the principles established in the law of Moses. Tell me what is offensive or what is wrong about the Ten Commandments. And yet, in America, we can't put them up in a public place. They want to tear them down. But as we see, when we see that in Christ, there was something new and different proclaimed. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth function wonderfully together. It's just not the law that reveals sin for what it is. It's just not identifying what is good and what is evil, but It's God's commands. Oh, you want to follow me? What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? He's like, oh, you know, you got, hey, I want to, I don't have a life. i got to oh, God, do doing all these things. Jesus says, oh, you're only lacking one thing. I saw everything you have, and then come follow me. And the guy went away sad. Jesus didn't say, now wait a minute, I was just kidding. Hold on, stop. Stop. Because of you, because I know you did all these other good things gonna let you off. Jesus allows people to make their own choices and decisions. Oh, you want to follow me, but you still want to live in sin or this? Oh, you still like to cheat on your husband? I got you, Calvary. Wink, wink. No, no, that's not what he does. Titus two eleven says, "This for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men." What does the grace of God do? We hit on this on Wednesday night. The grace of God does not mean you just do what you want. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God enables us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives under the teachings of grace and truth. We see that Jesus brought about the possibility of freedom and self-control. Yet today our nation is becoming more and more lawless. Rebellion is seen as a good thing. Loving one another involves telling one another the truth. The truth about sin. The truth about consequences of sin. The truth about our own sin. When the Spirit of God is moving, listen to me, When the Spirit of God is moving, He brings unity. When the Spirit of God is at work, He transforms people's lives. He breaks down barriers. He unites. The vision that stands between groups of people are brought down. God's grace is released and enables us to say no to long-held prejudices and, and wrong thinking. Grace and truth says to our minority brothers and sisters that there has been injustice and prejudice against them. As a nation, we will reap the consequences of such sin. The sin, and here's where God, we don't want to admit this. The sin of the church, that not so long ago, you would not have William Seymour, who was the guy, what we would consider, as a street revival, the birth of all of the Pentecostal and Spirit-filled churches. Came from, they trace their roots back to that. Do you realize this? A hundred years ago, he was not allowed to sit. He was not allowed to sit in the same classroom with white people to hear the teaching of the word of God. What a horrible shame. What a horrible shame. And you know what? The church wants to gloss over that. You know what they need to do? They need to say that that was sin, that they were wrong. That they were blinded by their worldview, That they were blinded by their prejudices. They need to repent of that. And we need to say, that was wrong. That was sin. That was not right. People shouldn't be treated that way. That there's no way that people should be treated that way. That's, That's it. But grace and truth also says this. It says to the violence and lawlessness of our land today. It says that shooting police officers, that rebelling against authority is not of God either. And so both of those things need to be addressed. Grace and truth does that. And where the love of God is, the love of God brings about a transformation in our lives so that we start sitting down with one another, that before we have these prejudiced thoughts and attitudes and, and judging of one another, that first we get to know people and we care for people. And the love of God exudes from us. The love of God should be something that exudes from us and that touches hearts so that we can say, that we can say this. That murdering of innocent children, our society says it's okay. Now here's the thing. We're not beating up. We're not tearing down people who have made that decision in the past. We're saying that in the, as we move forward in the future. That's not God's best for you. That's not God's best for your family. We're not dehumanizing people. The love of God will cause us to speak up and to address sin and to say that this is right and this is wrong. It will cause us to to defend those who are innocent. It will cause us to speak up whenever there's injustice, when there's an abuse of power. The love of God will tell us, and the love of God will tell us that we're to honor authority. The Word of God tells us that. And that, that they don't bear the sword for nothing. Those in the authority, of the government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. As we get ready to conclude, what's the answer? The answer is the church being the church. The answer to our society else is repenting of our past sins, taking personal responsibility. As long as I can blame a group of people, as long as I don't take personal responsibility, no. It involves me taking personal responsibility for me and my... If you look at the person who's struggling with sin, we speak out loud against sin and unrighteousness. But if you look at the person who's struggling with sin and look at them with arrogance or pride, you need to be taken back to the cross. And remember what Jesus did for you that day. You've forgotten where you came from, my friend. You've forgotten your desperate need. As a church, my prayer is this for us. My prayer is that the love of God, will compel us to forgive. The love of God will compel us to act. The love of God will compel us to repent. The love of God will compel us to reach out and to touch people and to be concerned with people who are different than me from a different background, different community, that the love of God will move upon our hearts. Father, I pray that as we leave this place that we would search our own hearts and we would ask ourselves... Am I controlled and led by the love of God? Or am I arrogant and proud? Lord, I ask you that you would speak to us in a very real and powerful way. And allow your love. Lord, let us get rid of the sin. Let us get rid of the sin that so easily besets us. Let us get rid of the compromise in our lives. Let us get rid of biblical literacy and get into your word. And allow you to teach and train us in the ways of God. And help us to follow you and be your light and be a true example of who you are. To the Republicans, to the Democrats, to the Independent, to the rich, to the poor, to the educated, to the uneducated. To our brother in need, Lord, help us to be an example of who you are. And we'll thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.